from the dark web to your radio dial. You are listening to CyberTalk Radio on News 1200 WOAI. Welcome to CyberTalk Radio. I'm your host, Brett Pyatt, a 20-year internet security veteran. And we're going to be talking about how virtual reality is impacting training uh, for all sorts of things here today. I'm joined uh, by Rob Dodson, Executive Director at Red Cell, and uh, a few other things. I'll let Rob introduce uh, his background here in just a moment. If uh, you're uh, live with us on the radio and you're not going to be able to stay with us for the full program, uh, this will go up on our website at www.cybertalkradio.com on Tuesday, November the 20th. It'll also go up on every podcasting service uh, along with all the rest of our other episodes uh, that we've had on the air here for the last couple of years. Uh, where you could learn about things like, uh, I don't know, how election security works or uh, how artificial intelligence is going to impact self-driving cars and all sorts of uh, other very interesting topics. If you have a podcasting service that you prefer to use and cannot find our program, uh, reach out to us on Facebook or Twitter. We will add the content to that podcasting service, and uh, we will get you a CyberTalk Radio t-shirt for letting us know about another one out there that we have not heard about yet. So, Rob, thank you for coming out uh, this week and joining us on the program. My pleasure. Thank you for asking, Brett. Appreciate it. Yeah. So how did you, you get started in virtual reality? It's uh, I've been in and out of training for quite a uh, while. And one of the biggest things that we've always found is retention of the information. Now, most training is PowerPoint presentation. Uh, you sit there and it's death by PowerPoint. I'm falling asleep on the radio just yes. hearing you talk about it. Um, so people started introducing animations. They started introducing videos in it. And um, I was reading an article on uh, uh, PortSA's website about uh, Jonathan Perry and Aractive, a uh, virtual reality company that he started here in town. I said, boy, that's probably what we really need to look at. So I reached out to him and said, come over and talk to us, kind of explained what I wanted to do. And he thought it would be a very viable solution uh, as a first step to eventually getting into augment. augmented reality where you're combining the individual with the actual environment. So we started embarking. We have one class right now that we are putting into virtual reality and we have plans to add it to all of our others. And so this is uh, Red Cell and then you're also with DC Industries. Right. So how do these guys tie okay. together? Okay, uh, Red Cell is a workforce development. I'm, it's a nonprofit. Uh, I come out of the security consulting business. We have a hard time finding experienced people. You can't get a job without experience. You can't get experience without a job. So uh, I decided to try to do something with that. Uh, We have set up some internships with some companies here in town. Uh, But we came across a couple instances where they needed some additional training. Uh, I had met Cindy McClister in one of my past lives. She ran a training company. Uh, We got together and we kind of worked hand in hand. Uh, I do some course development for her, some instructing for her. But she gives me the opportunity to put people into training venues. Uh, we have one for veterans where we can take uh, our, our veterans coming out of the service and want to get into this, and we will f- send them through a curriculum for either IT or cybersecurity programming, whatever. And uh, we think that uh, one of the things that's going to help them is going to be including a virtual reality piece in each one of those courses. Yeah. yeah I feel like we should package up all of the uh – content on all the great things that you're we're doing in san antonio for training um active duty and veteran uh retired military folks 
um, and get it out there to uh, everybody um, that's thinking about um, leaving the service and, and figuring out what they're going to do next. They should all come to San Antonio because there's there's a number of great programs here going on. There are, and uh, we we need to get it more out into the public's eye because uh, it's a it's a it's a field of endeavor that is shorthanded people. Uh, there's uh, ISC squared uh, just released a workforce study. There's just under 500,000 jobs in the cybersecurity realm vacant in the United States alone. Uh, guys coming out of the service, a lot of them have the discipline to do this work. They just don't have necessarily the training or the access to it. And we need to do a little bit better job about matching them up with both government, business, and industry and uh, start working on some of the issues that we have faced. You, know, you brought up election security and that. It, it's a lot more than that. Uh, we get approached by an agricultural teacher about the food chain. Yeah. Uh, farmers and ranchers are moving into the Internet of Things, and there's a wide market for people who understand that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, no, it, it's interesting on some of this. Uh, we're going to see a lot more technology out there in the food chain. I, I go back to the start of my career before we knew it was called the Internet of Things. We uh, had run a, an X25 network over a barbed wire fence on a big ranch. And you could tell by uh, these with uh, the node went down where a cut in the fence was. And this was uh, 20 or 30 years ago just by running a slow speed and we could also see if the gates opened or closed the devices out there sent a little bit back and we ran the x25 over the barbed wire can't do that much anymore no no uh and, and then i just saw something on the news the other day about uh, how ring is networking people in the neighborhoods who have ring devices on their houses yes. so we're sharing information amongst ourselves and we need to know what we're sharing we need to do a little bit better job about protecting that sharing for sure so as you, you guys started looking at virtual reality for training, um, where is, is VR, VR at today? I think most people have kind of picked up one of those little cardboard things or they've um, been messed around with that on their cell phone. Uh, maybe they've gone to uh, one of the electronic stores and put on one of the, the PlayStation or um, other game system uh, VRs and then kind of messed around with it. But it doesn't feel like most consumers own one at home yet today. Uh, not yet. Uh, Google Cardboard, the cardboard one you're talking about, is a good start. Uh, Oculus, the one that we use, has one for just under $200, which is pretty good. But the, the best thing about virtual reality is, and your, your company would know this very well, uh, how can we train people to make sure that the stuff is secured on their network without breaking their network? Yeah. Virtual reality gives us the opportunity to replicate your network into that environment, do this stuff on that replication, and see what happens to your network without it really impacting your network. Uh, we aren't the only people. The biggest field going right now is the medical community. Uh, doctors are practicing surgery using virtual reality. It's, it's a lot safer. They can do it a lot better. Uh, Jonathan had a contract to do uh, some training uh, videos for the Army Infantry Museum about battlefield casualties. So people going through the museum could see what it's like to take a casualty off the battlefield and just the experience of being able to see things that are life-threatening or damaging to environment in a virtual reality setting is what we think is its biggest biggest point yeah i went through uh and myself uh, an active shooter training that was done in vr 
uh, and designed for folks to to figure out how do you react and do the the correct things uh, during one of those uh, kind of tragic scenarios. So yeah, I mean that's a, another great example of something that you you can't simulate that without something like virtual reality. Yeah, it, it's going into the the aviation industry. It's a lot better to teach pilots how to survive a crash in virtual reality than it is in real life. Uh, the other place that we're seeing a lot of it come to fruition is in the critical infrastructure. The, the devices that can't be brought offline, uh, but you need to check them. There's things that you need to do. Virtual reality gives us the opportunity to do, train people on how to do that, how to basically test or troubleshoot critical, mission critical systems. Yeah. No, it's so it, it's as this starts to roll out. We're in the the early adoption phase of this. So you've got the the Oculus out now. They've got a, a second generation device, I think, coming out this holiday there. That's going to continue to improve the quality. Where are we on, kind of on this trajectory where virtual reality is going to be the the normal way to do training for these instead of the cutting edge? Uh, I think it's it's a couple of years out yet. Uh, the biggest issue that we have is not uh, the people who can do the virtual reality development. It's the scenarios and the people who who are able to take that leap uh, from where we are now to where we need to be. Uh it, it's a it's a mindset thing. People have done things the same way for years and years and years, and that's the way you have to do it. Uh, you know that uh, we were talking earlier doesn't work in schools anymore. You have third grade kids programming in Java. They know what servers are. They know what Linux is. It's a different generation coming up, and if we want to keep them, we have to be on their playing field, not ours. Yeah. No, I had a, a, some kids on from the Ghostwire Academy program that's run by some of our um, active duty military folks here in town where they're getting their continuing education credits and they're teaching kids cybersecurity stuff. And um, he was a, one of our guests was a 13-year-old. And, I mean, just yeah, doing stuff that uh, most of us weren't doing by the time we got out of college. Right. And, and virtual reality is something that immerses them. So it's a better learning experience for them. The retention rate is, is significantly greater. Yeah, so this uh, potentially, it sounds like it'll allow you to uh, run folks through higher quality training, less distractions, and learn more information or retain more information um, in a shorter amount of time. So you could potentially have some time savings on this training as well. That, that's correct. The other thing that we can do is based upon what they're doing, we're, we're liable, are able to interject or introduce into the training some scenarios that, you know, because they're way ahead of their time, we can put scenarios in there that are going to test them. So we can always stress them, if you will, in this environment that you can't really do when you're just throwing up PowerPoint uh, presentations or you're sitting on a, a range that's con confined to an environment. Yeah. So you're listening to 1200 WAI. This is CyberTalk Radio, and we're talking about virtual reality and how it's impacting training. Um, and this is, is not just virtual reality training for um, any one specific thing. We're going to talk some on how it's getting used in cybersecurity in more depth as we continue on the program. But uh, virtual reality is going to be something that has the ability to revolutionize uh, learning and retention of knowledge as curriculum gets built out. Um, and as we start to use this to eliminate all those distractions we have when we're, we're trying to do uh, learning activities uh, the rest of the time. Rob, as you guys are, are going through here, are there local cybersecurity companies that are already using VR in their training programs? Uh, not that I know of. Uh, that's part of the reason that we jumped into it. Uh, it. It's not something that has been traditional in this environment. Uh, it 
lends itself to, and you know, we're supposed to be technology people, so we should have been the cutting edge and the leading edge of this, but uh, for whatever reasons we aren't. Uh, we are starting to see it nationwide uh, in a lot of places, uh, but there are larger organizations. In fact, uh, the Army Cyber Institute just held a, a conference on virtual reality training in the cybersecurity field, and it was well attended, but it's still, it's still in its infancy, if you will. Yeah. Uh, so as you, you think about something like virtual reality, so we've got a, a, a good number of listeners uh, that are uh, on, on cyber patriot teams, uh, middle schools and high schools here around uh, San Antonio, and they're listening on iHeart streaming or on via the podcast. There could be cyber patriot kids all over the country. As you, you look at something like there, so they've got simulated blue team, red team stuff going on. Uh, how does something like virtual reality enhance what what they're doing from a cyber training perspective? Well. Funny you should ask. Uh, I, I mentor a cyber uh, patriot team at Sam Houston High School, and we will be using uh, virtual reality after the first of the year for some of our stuff as a teaching moment more than replacing the, uh, the fundamentals because, as I said, fundamentals aren't quite there yet for everything across the board. But they have already started asking questions. Uh, if you know the UTSA's card game, is there a way that we can make that more realistic and put it into virtual reality? And one of our kids says, I think I can do that. So he's off doing that as a, uh, uh, a project for a school for the, for the next semester. So the kids really get into it because it's something that they understand. The nice thing about it is uh, a lot of these things can be done individually. They don't have to be done in groups. Uh, they can sit down and they can spend uh, a couple hours because that's as long as the, the charge on the battery lasts. But the retention of what they have when they come out of there is so much, much greater than any other two hours that they're going to spend anywhere else. So if you're a Cyber Patriot kid out there and you're listening and you, ha you haven't heard about this card game that uh, Dr. White out at UTSA uh, put together originally, uh, reach out to us on our Facebook page for CyberTalk Radio or on our Twitter account. Uh, ask us for some cards and we will uh, get you some decks. It's a, a card game like uh, Pokemon or uh, one of all the rest of those battle card games except you're battling with Cyber Patriot uh, and cybersecurity type words and jargon and things that you're going to learn uh, in order to uh, be able to do better at Cyber Patriot and become a better cybersecurity professional. If you wanted to look that card game up online, it's called Cyber Threat Defender. Um, and uh, yeah, much better use of your time. Uh, Pokemon and all the rest of those are good things to learn, skills and battle challenge, but uh, this one's a, an even better one, especially if you're interested in the cybersecurity aspect of things. And if you're a parent out there, uh, if you're a school teacher or a cyber patriot coach even uh, listening to this and you'd like to get some card decks for your teams, reach out to the program, let us know, and we'll uh, get in uh, another order uh, to get some more of those shipped out because uh, this is the more, as you, Rob had mentioned, we're 500,000 folks short already in cybersecurity, um, and I see other studies saying that number's headed towards 2 million people short. So uh, this is one where we've got to get more kids at middle school and high school interested in this uh, or... Uh, the, the 400 folks that are retiring from the military every month here in San Antonio will not be enough to fill up those uh, 2 million jobs. The, the other good thing about that is they're learning, even if they don't come into this business, they're going to help when they get out in the, the field. They're going to know cybersecurity. They're going to understand what the impact is on organizations. So they're more apt to make sure that uh, the environment they're working in is safe and secure to, to conduct business. Yeah. 
No, cybersecurity is just something that's going to touch everything. It's uh, uh, one of the ones I ask business owners these days as they're like, well, what do I need to do from like a, the small businesses, especially for uh, disaster recovery planning or how do I do this? I'm just overwhelmed. I said, just invite your whole leadership team out to lunch, sit down at the table. And then, so ask everyone in your team three questions. Uh, first one for your, your department, uh, what would happen if all technology was turned off for a day? Second question, what would happen if all technology was turned off for a week? And then the third question is what would happen if all technology was turned off for a month? And you just go around the, the table and do those. So you, you have somebody in your accounting, runs your accounting department, someone that runs your customer service department, someone that runs sales, and someone that runs operations. And you ask them. And if technology's off for a day, uh, you'll, you'll get lots of creative answers. Most folks will figure out how to work around it. When you tell them technology's off for a week, uh, you start to get a little bit of panic in their face. And then if you tell them that they can't use technology for a month inside of their business unit, at that point, everyone turns white and has this panicked look in their eye. And without cybersecurity and, and incorporated across all those areas, you're one incident away from potentially not having technology in that business unit for a month. Yeah, and you could even take that down a step further, depending upon their business for an hour. You know, if, if they're a point-of-sale type company and their point-of-sale systems go down, they're yep. done. No, no revenue generation, nothing. And most of these small businesses in and around San Antonio, that's what they rely on. You're yep. talking about gas stations, grocery stores, and those kinds of things. If they can't process payment, what happens? Because how many of them more and more rely on customers coming in, swiping their cards? Yeah, all of us. And, and if, yeah, I mean, we saw what happened when there wasn't gas at gas stations. If if you weren't able, if all the point-of-sale systems are down at all the gas stations, even if they had gas, it wouldn't matter. We'd have the same sort of um, panic in the city. Right. If all your ATM machines went down, for yeah. example, nobody could get money. Yeah, you had plastic, but that doesn't do you any good because nobody could process that. So. Yeah, it's interesting. So as, as we're talking through virtual reality on some of this training, um, good for lots of things. As you guys have started to um, build curriculum and uh, roll things out, have you found areas where virtual reality is just not the right solution today? Uh, there are some places where virtual reality, if, if you look at uh, security being in three areas, the administrative areas, the governance risk and compliance as an example, and then the physical and then the technology. Virtual reality really lends itself more to the physical and the technology realm. Uh, and the reason for that is that uh, the administrative area is more strategy and controlled definitions. Uh, and those are not things that really lend themselves to something to be done in virtual reality. But in the physical and in the technical side, it, it's going to be a, a big player. And then the other nice thing about virtual reality is we, we have a lot of people that understand the technical side but don't understand what the physical impact side could be to their organization. And we can show that virtual reality. Okay, so you have a server room and you have all the locks and stuff on there, but what happens if somebody's able to bypass those locks and gets into yours? The physical access to your facility can get, render more harm to you than somebody with the remote access to. Yeah, they, yeah for sure. Yeah. The, I always like to say, you know, teaching the classes back in the 1930s, there was a guy by the name of Willie Sutton was a bank robber, and they asked him why he robbed banks, and he said, that's because that's where the money was. Yes. Uh, why are people after your networks? That's because that's where the information is. And, and information's now worth money. Oh, a lot. Uh, for example, if you're a research and development company, 
and I steal your research and development, two things happen. I've got what you've done and saved myself a lot of money, but there's a good chance you didn't know I took it because you still have the original. It's not like the bank where you take the money, everybody knows the money's gone. But if I get into your network and take your information, how do you know it's gone? Yeah. You still have it. But how do you know I don't have a copy of it? Yeah. And just save myself five to ten million dollars worth of costs. Yeah. And that, that copy of the data that the hackers can take is worth money to them. It was different when you, you robbed a bank and you physically took the bills out and those were gone and the bank had lost it. Um, now, if your intellectual property is stolen, um, it's worth money to somebody else. You still have it. It devalues it. Um, it doesn't take it to zero, um, but potentially it can cause significant harm to, to your business or uh, depending on what is stolen, uh, can cause potential major harm to uh, a country's uh, stability. Exactly. If you go back to the Cold War, that's what spies were after. They were after plans, yeah. weapons systems and all that. That's now online. Yeah. A lot easier to take, and you don't know it's missing. Yeah, it's it's uh, a very uh, interesting um, situation as we continue to connect everything for speed, efficiency, productivity. Uh, where's that the balance for safety? And uh, I think in, in the world we continue to see that speed, productivity, and efficiency win out over safety and security. Exactly. Yeah, except for the paranoid people sitting in this room. <laughs> Everyone, by the way, in here, I've just noticed we're all dressed in black today. This was not. <laughs> Not planned, not coordinated. None of us called each other before. Uh, this is just a, maybe it was a cybersecurity professional wardrobe. I think so. Yes. Yeah. So uh, for uh, folks interested in getting in contact with you, um, getting training out to, to their school to get curriculum developed or to, to their workplace, uh, where, where should they go? Uh, the best place to do is uh, to go online. We there are two websites. Uh, there's redcellsa.org gets to me, and then there's dc-industries.net uh, gets to the training side. And uh, you can leave information there, or there's uh, email addresses that you can get in touch with us, and we will respond to you. Okay. So uh, as, as you guys are, are rolling this stuff out, uh, what what are you thinking about heading into 2019, 2020 kind of goals? Uh, we're, we're looking at right now – uh, more along the lines of defense. Uh, it's an easy way to, uh, to show defense uh, without getting actually into the network. Yeah. Uh, and uh, we have talked to uh, a couple of different organizations about them being a red team. So one of the things that we're looking at doing is having a virtual reality capture the flag where you have the, the network on there and you will be the defender and you will have the ability. It's going to be more augmented reality than virtual, but we will have a nonpartisan red team come after you, uh, which is one of the biggest things that we see as problems with a lot of the ranges. The red team is somebody that works for you to begin with. Yeah. You need to have somebody who's distant from you that doesn't care about your organization, as most bad guys are, that's willing to come after you hot and heavy. Yeah. Now it's it's a, another one. Speaking of that, is a, a lot of folks ask, well, as a executive or business leader or owner, business owner, how do I, do I send a phishing test out to my employees? It's like just send it from your actual email. You don't even need any fancy software. Just send an email that says, "Hey, I need you to uh, cut a check for ten thousand dollars to uh, our food vendor, um, and uh, go deliver it this afternoon." And if they don't pick up the phone and call you, and they actually cut that check, well, 
go cancel the check and then walk them through, even if it comes from my email account and it's something like this that I don't normally send, double check with me in person. Exactly. Because a hacker can get into your real email account and send it from your real email account. And they're a lot more sophisticated than they were 10 years ago with Nigerian scams. The English is a lot better and and the impersonation of websites and that is much, much better. Yeah. So from a a blue team perspective, we've got to be real cautious uh, across all of these. We're going to go ahead and take a quick break here for those listening on 1200 WAI for a news, traffic, and weather update at the bottom of the hour. Uh, and then we'll be back uh, with Rob Dotson to talk more about uh, training, cybersecurity, and uh, all sorts of things here on CyberTalk Radio. If you're not going to be able to stick with us through that break, you'll be able to catch the rebroadcast of this up on our website at www.cybertalkradio.com on Tuesday, November the 20th. It's up there with uh, all of our other episodes on the program uh, where yeah, you could learn about drop tests and some more physical security, and we maybe will talk some more about that as well uh, after we return. Welcome back to CyberTalk Radio. I'm your host, Brett Pyatt, a 20-year internet security veteran. Joined by Rob Dotson, uh, we're talking about virtual reality impacting training. We talked a little bit about Cyber Patriot, some other things, and uh, we'll just continue to have a, a thoughtful cybersecurity discussion here for the uh, bottom half of the hour. If you're listening to us uh, on a podcasting service, thank you for uh, tuning into CyberTalk Radio, and uh, we appreciate you being out in the listening audience. If you would. Uh, like to have specific topics covered on the program uh, we're active on facebook and twitter or we've got a uh, contact forms uh, on our website at www.cybertalkradio as well uh, we're uh, always uh, looking to make sure that uh, you as the listeners are, are getting value out of what we're doing here because uh, if not then there's not much point in, in uh, us spending the time to uh, talk into a microphone just to hear ourselves so uh, if you just tuned in uh, here after the bottom of the hour, uh, you'll be able to listen to this program in full. It'll go up on our website on Tuesday, November the 20th. Uh, this is uh, episode number 112. So we, we've covered all kinds of topics. Uh, one, Rob, is as you were talking about some of the virtual reality training here for the physical security aspect of things. Uh, we, we had a guest on uh, that talked about uh, drop tests uh, out in parking lots. So. Uh, that's if you don't know what a drop test is, uh, it, Googling it's not super good. You're not going to be able to figure it out there. They won't come up, but it's uh, leaving around a, oh, I don't know, USB device or other things in the parking lot that says confidential CEO documents or other stuff on it. Someone's going to bring it inside, and they're going to plug it in their computer, and then I'm going to be on your network after that. Um, so this physical security uh, aspect of training, and then just how can you gain access to buildings? And I, I used to do... Um, some uh, penetration testing work uh, in my earlier part of my career and we would do uh, both virtual and physical penetration testing as uh, you were saying in the VR training if I get access to the server room um, it's a lot easier to get access to everything else from there and and everyone's like well we've got secure locks in our server room we've got an inspection process to stop people from getting into the building Um, no you don't it's not actually that good Um, hardly anyone's doing a really uh, high quality job at physical security. Uh, I can show up and look like I, I work for an air conditioning vendor, um, and your lobby folks will badge me right on into the server room. Um, and then if I'm in there and I bring in a bag of equipment because I'm looking like I'm going to be working on the air conditioner, while I'm doing that, I can get on my ladder and climb up and mess with it. But I can plug stuff right into the computer. And this, uh, 
you think, well, that doesn't happen. I'm not that big of a target. And maybe if you're a, a small retailer, you're not that big of a target. But if you're a, a, a public utility, you're absolutely that big of a target. If you're a, a bank, uh, you're absolutely that big of a target. Or a, a manufacturer that's designing things with high-value intellectual property, you're absolutely that big of a target. You're also that big of a target if you are connected to a target that is a big target. Yeah, uh, like the HVAC uh, vendor uh, that folks use to get into Target. Exactly. Speaking of targets. <laughs> exactly. Uh, it's interesting because most people poo-poo the idea of physical security. Uh, I'm going to date myself a little bit, but one of the best movies to show you how some of that stuff works was a movie called Sneakers in the early 90s. Yeah. And uh, Cosmo had what he thought was the most secure facility out there and they still got in uh, if people want to get into your building and want to do something you know understand that most of the controls are there to keep the good guys out yeah they're not there to keep the bad guys out because they're going to think of ways to get in that you don't think about and they're going to get in and that's one of the things that we we like virtual reality gives us that opportunity to show those ways of in without actually penetrating your systems or your facilities and uh, VR really lends itself to, for, to defensive training. Uh, we, we spend a lot of time in the cybersecurity world talking about pen testing and all that, and that's all basically offensive, but we need to start looking at it. How does the defender see what these guys are doing? Not, not trying to react to what they're doing, but how does he see what goes on in his network so he knows that something bad is happening? Yeah. So virtual reality gives us that that opportunity that uh, we're going to be able to do things into a network on a network with a network that they can't do themselves because it would bring their network down, but they'll get to see what happens. And the the blue team side of stuff is actually much more difficult because you don't know when the attack's coming, you don't know where it's coming from, uh, and you have to be able to detect it and react in a time to thwart the uh, attacker um, or the attacker's then going to be successful. Exactly. Yeah, blue teamers have to be right every time. The red guy only needs to be right once. Yeah, and, and, and so, they got to be ready all the time. That's yep. even the harder part. Yep. Uh, people don't understand that it's not uh, a 9-to-5 job or, or whatever, that it's 24 hours a day. Uh, you can't get away from it. And and if it helps to be, as you said, paranoid earlier yes. uh, because it isn't anymore when you're going to uh, – be breached as you've already been breached you just don't know it yeah no i mean i i get regular spear phishing attacks on employees at my company um, because i mean like everyone knows i'm the ceo uh i'm my linkedin profiles out there i write stuff for forbes technology council i do all sorts of i host a radio program here so i can't hide who i am um, and it's pretty easy to go get an email address and and make it look like it might be from the company or and spoof all that sort of stuff email was not designed with bad guys in mind it was designed for some university folks to be able to exchange information with each other and, and you brought that up earlier that you know the networks are out there for convenience yeah. collaboration and that and that's what the bad guys are taking advantage of they know that it, if you put security controls in place you're restricting a lot of that uh ease of use and that but it's for people's own good and they need to understand that yeah so uh, as as we uh, get going on virtual reality, you said that, I mean these training devices are not super expensive. We'll circle back to kind of our main topic um, here for a minute. No, the, the, they, how's the curriculum development though? The, the curriculum development's lagging only because in this area, only because it's just starting 
to be uh, something that we can look at. There is a lot of curriculum out there for virtual reality training in a lot of areas, and a lot of technical areas. Uh, we talked about it earlier in the flight aviation industry. Yeah, I've been in the, doing it, that for years. Years, and not only just the pilot training, but even the mechanical side of the house. Uh, it's becoming very prevalent in the medical community because the cost of medical services is going up, and colleges and universities that teach our teaching schools don't have the resources that costs to procure the specimens to do the the surgery and that on virtual reality has been a lifesaver for them yeah uh virtual reality lends itself very much to those careers that if you do something wrong it has a impact a significant impact on health life safety and that that's where virtual reality comes in and since technology now is taking over almost everything from your house to the critical infrastructure, it, it's lending itself to virtual reality training. Yeah. So if I'm a, a curriculum developer out there right now for an educational institution, uh, I mean, should what skills should I start looking at so I can learn to develop my curriculum in virtual reality instead of in PowerPoint? Yeah, it's, it's really interesting. Uh, most of uh, uh, our programs are being done in uh, Unreal, and uh, that's a, basically a, almost a block programming language. Uh, what's interesting is uh, the kids in school are playing with uh, Scratch, which is a block programming language. There's now one out called Tinkercad that is computer designed, does 3D. That's block programming. So they can teach themselves block programming. They can understand how this stuff works. Then they can start visualizing how they can take those two dimensions or one dimensional pictures that they have and put it into 3D because that's basically what we're doing. And then you're being able to immerse the person into that environment. Yeah, so that, that Unreal Engine uh, was released by Epic Games. Um, it's out there in kind of a, a an open source uh, under not a traditional open source license, so it's not like a, the GPL if you're um, in our open source technique, techie world or, or the Apache license, but it's in, in a license where if you're using it for non-commercial uh, the engine is free, so if you were using it in education and you weren't making any money off of this, you could use that engine to build your content. Um, if not, then there's some licensing fees you would pay back to to the Unreal folks, but you can use it, learn from it, uh, and and use it as a tool while you're educating yourself as long as you're, you're not selling whatever you're producing. Uh, then you're free to go uh, use the engine and build that. So having access to a lot of these things now is pretty amazing. I mean, I remember back when uh, I got into some of that stuff, uh, we were building our own kind of voxel-based 2D, kind of 2.5D rendering engine because there wasn't anything out there for us to use. Everyone who had built one of those uh, was keeping it closed and, and licensed themselves and using it inside of their own uh, design studios. Absolutely, and it's the block programming is, like I said, is really easy. Uh, we do a girls who code uh, class, and we we started them out in Scratch, and they're they're moving to Tindercat, but they understand uh, how code works together. They don't have to write it, but it gives them a good understanding. So if they want to get into programming, they already have the thought process down. Now all they have to do is basically learn what the language looks like behind it, but they can see the results in a virtual reality environment and. That's really what has has piqued their interest. You know, can I do this? Yeah, put it together. We'll throw it in here and see what it looks like. And uh, it's going to become more prevalent in the school systems just because it makes a lot more sense. 
You're listening to 1200 WAI. This is Cyber Talk Radio, and uh, we're talking about virtual reality and training and education. I'm joined by Rob Dotson, the executive director at Red Cell and a senior instructor at DC Industries, and they're working on building out virtual reality training for uh, cybersecurity and some other areas here in San Antonio. Uh, if you uh, want to learn uh, more and you just turn the radio on right now, uh, this episode will go up on our website at www.cybertalkradio.com on Tuesday, November the 20th. It'll also go out there on uh, all of the different podcasting services so you can listen to it in full. Uh, the first half of the program, Rob shared his uh, contact information. Uh, we'll share it uh, again here as we, we wrap this segment up. Uh, but if you go back and listen to that replay in full, you'll be able to uh, hear uh, those things. So you, Rob just had said that um, we'll see this some more in education and in schools. And I'm, as I'm thinking about this, like teaching kids history, it sure seems like it would be uh, much more engaging if I was doing history in virtual reality versus doing history in a textbook with maybe a black and white sketch drawing in the textbook. Yeah. If you can put the people in the environment yeah. as it was going on, then they could, it could be more simulation of what it was really like. I think that, uh, and that's what we like about using it for cybersecurity. We can put them into a disaster. Yeah. if you will, and show them the impact on their organization and why they needed to do what they did without really creating that disaster. You can put the kids going through it, like you said, history. If you wanted to teach them about the Civil War, you could put them in the Battle of Gettysburg. Yeah, Save and they could the high school students. Yes. Uh, you, could, you could understand now you yeah. know, the things a lot better uh, and what caused them. And the kids already are tuned to this. That yeah. that's they're they're ready for this yeah, kind I guess, of. I guess it. the middle school kids are probably playing. I mean, Fortnite, everyone's playing, but I mean, they're probably also playing a bunch of the uh, uh, what is the Call of Duty and those other yep. games. So they're seeing stuff like Gettysburg in almost virtual reality already, anyways. Right, and it is. It's just the, the retention that you get out of it is really great, and that's that's what we like about it because this is a technical field, but we have a lot of people who don't have a technical background coming into it, this helps them understand it much, much better. They, they understand the impact. You know, if, if you flip this switch and you see your plant, the next thing you know, it's all dark yeah. because the switch you flipped was not the right one. People understand that. You can talk about it. You can do what you want all day long. But when they actually see what happens, uh, it reinforces that learning uh, objective like you wouldn't believe. Yeah, I mean, I imagine, yeah, as you say, training for if you're going to be working at a, a power plant or a refinery or a um, high-velocity kind of manufacturing facility where things are moving all the time. And uh, if you go through training, you're sitting in front of PowerPoint, you're uh, being told, press the red button, not the green button, or press the green button, not the red button. You're trying to remember all of this stuff, and you use the yellow button during this time, and and without being able to physically go through and do it um, much harder to learn. And I guess this is why for many of those places you end up in a job shadowing for six months or a year uh, where you're out there apprenticing almost alongside somebody who's been an experienced operator at the facility before you're allowed to go on your own. Exactly. We talked to one company that does some virtual reality training and they are in the aviation area and they say that they can basically take 15 years worth of training and combine it into as short as 10 months. Wow. Uh, the people are pretty well wasted because it's, it's really intense, but they were able to take all those learning objectives and add over the 15 years and combine it down. 
And now uh, you, you go through it once and then you put them in the environment and they do it again and again and again. And it, it has significantly improved the quality of the training and the, the capabilities that people are putting through the class. There isn't a whole lot. Uh, and that's the other thing that's good about it. There isn't a whole lot that you can't mimic in a virtual reality environment. So if somebody comes up, well, what if this happens? We'll do it and see what happens. And yeah. uh, so there's a what if capability here to a large degree that doesn't exist in a PowerPoint presentation. Yeah. No, I mean, I, that's like I think about this for um, simulation training for um, first responders and all those sorts of things. Uh, just lo lots of opportunities to improve quality of outcomes and quality of training for everybody. It's not quite the matrix, Jack, yet, where <laughs> like in, in a few minutes you learn stuff. But it sounds, I mean, taking 15 years down to 10 yeah. months is a more than an order of magnitude uh, improvement. Right. And it's huge. Uh, and in a lot of it is not much more than the, the methodology that's used to teach. Uh, because the retention in virtual reality is so much better that you can cut the amount of time that you have going through a subject down uh, significantly. Uh, yeah, our, our ultimate goal is to put you into the matrix so you can see what it looks like as those uh, ones and zeros are passing along the electrical circuits on the back plane of the, the computer's motherboard so yeah. you can understand what, what really happens. Because the more you understand that, then you can understand where these guys go. Because you got to remember the bad guys, they don't have a daytime job other than what they do at night. Yeah. And they have the opportunity to understand your network much, much better than you do because they're not distracted with a regular job. Yeah. And because of that, they know you much better than you probably know yourself. And that's why it makes it so difficult to, to find them. If we can show you what that looks like, then we can start making you think that you need to look in places that aren't traditional and you might be able to find these guys much easier. Yeah, I, I always find it amusing from a, a policy perspective that um, the security organizations inside of companies are not allowed to scan their own networks um, because it could take an application offline. And, and I w would always raise my hand as the security professional there going, if I'm not allowed to scan it, but all the bad guys are allowed to scan it, couldn't they take the application offline? Wouldn't we rather have me scan it and take it offline so that we, we know it had a problem and we know that we can track down pretty quickly what caused it. Um, the, some of the, the, the risk aversion on the policy side of things of not allowing um, cyber organizations, security organizations inside of companies to red team their own infrastructure uh, is, is putting us into, I think, a, a bad spot. Exactly. And, and you brought up the good thing. This is, there's a risk aversion on a lot of companies on this. Uh, virtual reality can help you. So, yeah. okay, so here, here's your network and here's what I do. And, you know, notice it didn't go down. So yeah. why can't I do that? You know, oh, oh, it did go down. Let's figure out why it went down, because that's a denial of service that could happen if a bad guy scans your network. Yeah. So you're learning from either either situation. But in the virtual reality field, you're learning without the impact on your organization, your daily operations. Yeah, you know, it's a, a big step up from the tabletops that, that folks do right now because they are afraid to touch their production infrastructure. Exactly. And, and, and as you said earlier, you know, you can't, uh, if you go to the Toyota plant, you can't affect the, you know, the production schedule down there. Or, no, you know, you like just, a thousand trucks need to come off that line every day. Someone's bought all of them. Yeah, and they have to be certain colors, and you can't have them zebra-striped or something like that because somebody played around with your automation. But it could happen. 
it could happen very easily. And that's that's really what we're trying to make people understand. Automation is a great thing, but it needs to be protected. Yeah, you know, I, I saw this in the news the other day is uh, the smart homes are becoming a problem for real estate brokers. Uh, who has the codes? Yeah. How are those codes transmitted? You know, who who has the authority? You know, and when do you change codes? And you know, it it's the more technology you build in the house, the more you have to be aware of what it can do to your house. Yeah, and you have to be able to secure that because you're making it open to everybody else. No, oh, it's a, it's an interesting conversation. So, like these smart learning thermostats that are getting out there into to all the homes. If I sell my house, do I wipe the thermostat? Do I sell the history? Um, to is that part of the purchase? That if you buy my house, Rob, do you get my my thermostat history so that you're um, power bills will be as efficient uh, as mine were because uh, it knows when to do different things. Uh, but that also might show my behavior of when I'm home, when I'm not home, and all the rest of this. So what data am I potentially selling to the buyer of my house? Yeah. Well, and you just brought it up. You're also providing that data to somebody who wants to break into your house. If he can get your thermostat data, as you said, he knows when you're home and when you're not. You know. So what happens? Yeah. You know? uh, we need, and, and the other thing with virtual reality in the small business environment, you can go in and you can show those kinds of things. It's not you talking. You get your point across much quicker. They retain it. They start understanding of they are part of this whole wheel that needs to be secured. It's called, you know, the infrastructure of the of the nation. And if if it's weak there, it's weak across the board. Yeah. So as uh, as this goes on, are you seeing any um, universities getting interested in? Uh, looking at this stuff? Uh, there's a couple. Uh, we've had uh, a couple here in town that we have talked to uh, that uh, have asked about it, uh, but they're still in the initial stages. Like most uh, colleges and universities, they're a little bit slower to adapt to certain things. Uh, but we're finding the people who we thought would be the slowest, and that's the Department of Defense, are actually one of the, the big pushers and when you stop and think about it, it, it makes sense for them because their training costs are very expensive. It costs a lot of money to fire a rocket off. Well, if you could do that virtually and have the yeah. same impact, or if you could do it and show what the effect of uh, an unsecured network is on it, why not? So Department of Defense has, has been the one that's really starting to take the lead on virtual reality into the training environment. Yeah, and I mean they've been uh, going back um, flight simulators and, and many of those things. Um, NASA for space simulator and, and a lot of that for for quite a while. Yep. But, um, so they've got some history to show the effectiveness of that type of training in a, a cockpit simulator versus um, in a classroom on people learning to fly right. aircraft and so with the fact that they have the data i think are excited to roll it out into as many different areas as they can because they know what it can do well that and the fact that it, it's much smaller than the old flight simulators yes. used to be yeah, you no, know not 250 grand <laughs> yeah. anymore yeah. to build one right and and you don't need to replicate the cockpit and everything else so uh, the technology has advanced the capability significantly and that's what we like. Uh, you know, the Oculus that we have is, is less than $200, and we can do a lot with it. it. It makes it a little bit more cost-effective to put it into our environment now. Something that, uh, you know, people out there in your audience, if they're looking at how can I get into this, um, virtual reality training in the open market, if somebody were to take, you know, we our classes are designed for something very specific, and that's to train people in cybersecurity. 
But if somebody were to take that whole same concept and decide that I'm going to do a bunch of cybersecurity games or I'm going to make training available like we do on YouTube now yeah. and put it into the virtual uh, reality market, I think there's, there's a burgeoning marketplace for that. I think there's a lot of places where people who are getting into this because it's still the ground level on outside of uh, DOD because the cost has come down and technology is going to drive the cost down even more. Uh, you know, we was out a couple of years ago and it was a big thing at Christmas, but it's not a big thing now. No. Uh, and part of it's because there wasn't really a lot with it. You know, uh, but if if somebody's interested, I think there's a, a great future in the virtual reality, the augmented reality uh, field for people to get into. Yeah, I mean, I, right now it feels it's all about the, the content development. The platforms are there right? Um, and you can get going. So Rob, if folks wanted to get in contact with you. Uh, you can get you know, on my website, which is redcellsa.org, or you can get on uh, DC Industries, the training side, which is dc-industries.net. And there's contact information for both of those. We're co-located together, so if you get a hold of one of us, we'll pass it on to the other. Yeah. So uh, you're listening to CyberTalk Radio here on 1200 WAI. Uh, if you uh, have been with us uh, throughout the program, thank you for sticking with us uh, on the AM dial. If uh, you just turned on and wanted to hear this whole conversation, it'll be up on our website at www.cybertalkradio.com on Tuesday, November the 20th. It's also out there on uh, all the different podcasting services. Um, I'm still a, a pocket cast guy myself, the, not a sponsor of the program. Uh, but uh, I will plug them for free because I think it's a great piece of software and it's worth paying a few bucks if you're on an Android device. If you're on an Apple one, uh, the iTunes podcast service works great, included with your device there. Uh, and there's a, a number of others out there. I think the cool kids are all using this thing called Stitchers now, which is uh, not, not me. I'm not that cool. Uh, so... Uh, Thank you uh, again, Rob, for coming to uh, join us. This has been a very uh, enlightening conversation uh, and really uh, looking at what's going to happen with virtual reality and where is this going to go from uh, cybersecurity training, but uh, maybe revolutionizing education uh, overall uh, out there as we, we look to compress the learning cycles down from, from years to, to months or from decades to years. Thank you. Appreciate 